It's 2002. It's about 7.30 at night and it's one of those freezing cold Tassie evenings. Do you know the type? <laughs> We've had a couple lately. <laughs> I've been invited to come into town and meet with the pastor's wife of the church that Royce and I are involved with during this time. And as we huddled together around the heater in that upstairs office, our meeting began with a question. What dreams do you have, Tony? What do you see your future with Royce looking like in relationship to this church? Well, eagerly, I expressed how my heart had always longed to do this and that, and how I was enjoying the journey that Royce and I were on, and I was looking forward to doing these things in the future. My pastor paused, taking me in thoughtfully for a moment, and replied that that was the most ridiculous, small and narrow-minded thing that she'd ever heard and that I was wrong to have such ambition. In the church's mind, Royce was heading towards becoming the next senior pastor and my role now was to simply support him in his ministry calling. I apparently wasn't suitable myself for ministry because I was too quiet or introverted and so it was her role as my senior pastor to raise me up to be worthy of Royce's future calling and role and I needed to submit myself to her coaching and Royce's leading as after all he was the head of our house and I needed to take my place as a supportive role as his wife. I remember sitting in the car when the meeting had finally finished feeling like someone had just taken a sock and forced it down my throat. As I struggled to gain breath and control over my tears and conflicting emotions, I was completely oblivious to the fact that I was actually experiencing my first panic attack. And unfortunately, for the following 14 years, I would experience many more. Why am I here in this moment? What has happened to me? If I could take all of you back to that moment and we could all stand there together in that freezing cold dark street and peer through the frosted car windows, what would you see? What would you say? What in that moment has been taken from me to cause such a reaction? Was it not my personhood? My dreams, my hopes, my desires, my very way of being, had they not all been called into question? 
Had they not all been taken from me and called small, unworthy, insignificant and wrong? And now my life was only to serve and satisfy another. And according to my pastor, this was what God wanted. But was that true? This morning, I get the job of bringing our series on the wisdom literature to a close. If you were with us four weeks ago, and it's totally okay if you weren't, you can go back online and check out our series on the wisdom literature. But if you were with us, you'd remember that our story began four weeks ago with Sandy Hart and the story of Job. In Job's story, we saw that God is God and will always be God beyond what we think or feel our God should be or do. Job, through his loss, entered the world of the unfortunate and through his encounter with the creator, he learned of his own insignificance and realised how little he knew about justice and the complexity of our world. But Job, in the end, he receives a great gift. He sees God. Proverbs then shows us about wise living by attempting to put the collective wisdom of humans into action and yet... Even then, there's no promise that what we aim for will happen. And so Proverbs reminds us that the greatest endeavour in life is to fear God and to place our trust in him. And it's not a fear God type of fear. It's more of an honour, respect, love and know God. Ecclesiastes then carries this further with a more kind of morbid way. Life is hevel. Do you remember that? Do you remember Ben with his smoke machine? Smoke. Yeah, Janet remembers. A chasing after the wind. So again, fear God and enjoy the simple gifts of daily living. And in the middle of all of that, we had the book of Psalms, which allows us language and voice for the tension we live in and often struggle with daily as we aim to fear, honour and love the Lord. And that brings us to today, to this unique little book called The Songs of Solomon or The Song of Songs. Now usually this little book is referred to as the sex book of the Bible. Lucky me. (laughs) Clearly I must be an expert on that. (laughs) With all its racy language. Your lips are like a scarlet thread. Your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. 
Your neck is like the Tower of David, built in rows of stone that, it, uh, that on it hang a thousand shields of warriors. There's a pick-up line for you, love. <laughs> you and... Sometimes this little book is used metaphorically to illustrate God's Old Testament relationship with Israel or Jesus' New Testament relationship with his bride, the church. And sometimes it's even used to illustrate wisdom's pursuit and desire for all of us. But more traditionally, this little book is not only enjoyed as Hebrew love poetry that, yes, does encourage us to not excite or stir up love until the time is right and you're ready, but more subtly, this book invites us into a deeper and more intimate reading of the song. Because just like sexual intimacy is an expression of the intimate relationship shared between a married couple that allows them to know each other at a deep and tender level, well, the Song of Songs is also an invitation into a deep and more intimate reading of the book that will force you to slow down and spend time with the language used so artistically to tell a story that lies just below the surface of a casual read of this little book, making the Song of Songs verbal art at its best. And so today... I would like to share with you an extremely abbreviated reading of the song. You ready? So as the song opens, we meet our central character, a woman. And she's in love. She's in love with a shepherd. And they want each other quite a lot. Chapter 1, verse 2, are you ready? Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. But something's wrong with their love. In verse 4, we hear, Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Why the hurry? Verse 4 continues, let the king bring me into his chambers. Now, I know that this might seem like a really good idea, right? To be wanted by a king, sounds all right. But as the song unfolds, we discover that the woman's brothers, who are also her guardians, have arranged for their sister to be taken by this king so that he can have her as an addition to his collection of concubines. All for their own personal gain of wealth and status. But what about her? What about her dreams? and hopes 
and desires. What about her love? Does none of that matter? I wonder if, like me, she ever felt the panic of her life being taken from her and so easily overlooked for somebody else's gain. And so we meet the nameless daughters of Jerusalem who function as a background chorus, who interact with the woman at certain moments during the song, who represent the queens and concubines that already exist in the king's home. And they lament for her. Verse 4 continues. We rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. Why will they praise her love more than wine? Perhaps because maybe it's something they don't have. Love. Now, the king in this poem towards the end is illustrated as Solomon, but it actually may not have actually been him. But if it was him, what do we know of him? In 1 Kings 11.3, it says that he already has 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. That's a rather large collection there. What kind of a life would that be? Would you want to live as one of a thousand other women? These women, they might have had access to all the expensive clothes they could have ever wanted, daily beauty treatments, fine food and wines, more shoes than they probably knew what to do with. But really, imagine just being one of a thousand other faces. Is that a life you'd enjoy? Just one in a crowd of leftovers. Used for a season by the king for his own enjoyment and conquest, but now forgotten. Imagine living in a house with a thousand other forgotten women. He no longer remembers your name, your likes, your dislikes, your interests, your dreams, your desires. He's moved on to his next pretty face. Could all the garments, the food, the wine, the new pairs of shoes satisfy what every woman in that house probably really longs for? And now can never have. What would each one of these girls really want? Wouldn't they each just really long to just be loved and known and celebrated for who they are? Because really, isn't that what we all want?
And so as the song reaches its climax in its final chapter, with her marriage to the king fast approaching, the woman decides on an extreme course of action. To preserve what good can be salvaged from this tragic situation as an act of reaching for justice to claim the loving relationship that rightfully should be hers and avoid being taken into the king's chambers unjustly and against her will in a do or die, an all or nothing move to gain control over her life and her circumstances, she sleeps with the shepherd she loves. hoping that in the act she might force her brothers to recognise their union and affirm that they belong together because she is determined to be with her shepherd or martyred for the love she has for him. And that's it. The song just ends. The king arrives to claim her. The brothers still insist on passing her off as available if he wants her. And as the woman pleads for her lover to make his escape, make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. It ends. And I'm left hanging. What happened? <laughs> does the king work out? She's given herself to another and does he have her executed? Maybe he has them all executed for messing with his plans and testing his authority. Or maybe, just maybe by some divine intervention, the king relents his hold on her, yeah? And she gets to go and be with her lover, the shepherd. They skip off into the sunset but I'll never know. Because the song just ends. And how many of us live our lives with unresolved songs? Unresolved prayers unresolved health issues, unresolved relationship difficulties, unresolved questions and situations, things I don't understand and I can't fix. And this is why we have been given the gift of the wisdom literature. Because it's true. We should aim to live our lives for wisdom, just like the book of Proverbs encourages us to, living for righteousness, living for justice, living for mercy, ethically living inside the scope and boundaries that God has provided. But along the way... We will have trouble, sometimes because of our own choices, but sometimes just because we live in a fragile and uncertain world, 
And when those days come, because they will, we have been given the gift of the wisdom literature that lets us have a voice to say, please, God, no more yelling. No more trips to the woodshed. Will you treat me nice for a change? I'm so starved for affection. Can't you see I'm black and blue, beaten up badly in bones and soul? How long will it take for you to let up? Break in, God, and break up this fight. If you love me at all, will you get me out of here? I'm no good to you dead, am I? I can't sing in your choir if I'm buried in some tomb. I'm tired. I'm so tired of all this. My bed has been floating 40 days and nights on the flood of my tears. My mattress is soaked soggy with tears. The sockets of my eyes are black. Holes nearly blind, I squint and grope. And why does this matter? Why does this voice matter? Well, because we do not have a God that is unfamiliar with our suffering. For God entered our world in the skin of Jesus Christ and walked among us, feeling our pain, for he too has stood outside tombs and grieved the loss of loved ones. He too has seen the unjust treatment of others and endured it himself, for he has been lonely, he has been hungry, he has been misunderstood and betrayed. And in his moments, where did he lean? For as he hung on the cross at about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But that voice is a psalm. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning. And so God has resourced our suffering and our pain through the gift of the wisdom literature that allows us a place to go when we struggle Because people matter. Our very way of being matters. Our dreams matter. Our desires matter. Our pains matter. Our fears matter. And our feelings matter too. 
And so we must choose daily to follow this example and allow people to be who they are. And we must support them, promoting their well-being and celebrating their way. Because people are not objects or machines or just a number in a queue or a like on our Facebook feeds, just there to satisfy our ego, fulfill our dreams or purposes. People matter. No matter who they are or where they're from or their age or their race or their culture or their gender, they matter. And so lastly, as I close, I have a question for you. What are you pursuing? Because the woman in the song, she had two options. She could have given herself to the king. She could have had all the clothes and the cars and the devices and the shoes and the food and the accessories. She could have had it all. But she chose instead to pursue the shepherd. Why? I mean, it doesn't really appear in the song to say that the shepherd could offer her much, not in comparison or to compete with what the king could. It looks like all the shepherd had to offer her was love. Love. And so it seems that the beginning of wisdom truly is the fear of the Lord. Not a fear as of being afraid, but of knowing and honouring and loving the Lord and to pursue him and him alone for love. And all the rest, well, what does it all really matter in comparison to love? Because no amount of hevel or smoke No amount of suffering, no amount of other people's good advice, no amount of unresolved songs, nothing can ever separate us from the love that Jesus has for you. Stuff we can lose. But Jesus Christ's love is eternal, unshakable, always available. And so today, I offer you our shepherd, Jesus Christ, 
who passionately, intimately and tenderly cares for you. So pursue him today. Because he is just waiting to know you. Amen.